0: So this reading is about the resurrection body but someone may ask how are the dead raised with what kind of body will they come how foolish what you sow does not come to life unless it dies when you sow you do not plant the body that will be but just a seed perhaps of wheat or of something else but God gives it a body as he has determined and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies, but the splendour of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendour of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendour, the moon another, and the star's another, and and star differs from star in splendour. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man Adam became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit the spiritual did not come first but the natural and after that the spiritual the first man was of the dust of the earth the second man from heaven as was the earthly man so are those who are of the earth and as is the man from heaven so also are those who are of heaven and just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man So shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. And may God bring that day to us soon. Amen.
1: Well, as we come and think about this um, topic of resurrection, let's pray to the Lord and then work through this sermon together. Let's pray. Our Lord God, we thank you for this day, that we can meet together in the name of our Lord Jesus. Thank you that we can read your word and think about Uh, what it says about the hope that we have through him and the kind of future that you're preparing for us. We pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it doesn't take us long, does it, to look into the world and notice that there are problems. I was talking to a friend of mine recently about some challenges he was faced with as he tried to get money out of an insurance company for some water damage that happened to his building. Apparently the insurance company was on a go slow because they are sorting out such a big backlog of claims for other places in Australia that had experienced water damage from floods and also hurricane winds in Australia in recent times. So natural disasters is just one area of life where people can have problems and trouble. But there's just so many areas of trouble and problems that we could put our finger on in the life that we live outside of the Garden of Eden. One writer has put it like this. We have problems stemming from the population explosion, which include the birth control problem, the abortion problem, the housing problem, the parking problem, and the food and water supply problem. You may have noticed that Almost all of these problems are related to progress. That's also resulted in the air pollution problem, the water pollution problem, the garbage disposal problem, the radioactivity problem, the megalopolis problem, the supersonic jet noise problem, the traffic problem, the who am I problem, and the what does it all mean problem. Now there is one problem under which all the foregoing may be subsumed. It is the, what, if anything, can we do about all these problems, problem. Well, the ironic thing about that statement was it was written um, back in 1969. And those problems are still ones that are challenging for us to deal with. So what are we to make of life in a world where we face so many hardships and complications, where there's so many problems, Well, at this point, we're confronted, aren't we, with that what-does-it-all-mean problem? Well, not everybody shares the same answer to what it all means. For some people, the answer is that it doesn't mean very much. It's uh, one darn thing after another, and it's broadly meaningless. This is what one writer had to say about it all, that man is the product of causes... Which had no prevision of the end they were achieving. That his origin, his growth, his hopes and fears, his loves and his beliefs are but the outcome of accidental atoms colliding. That no fire, no heroism, no intensity of thought and feeling can preserve an individual life beyond the grave. That all the labours of the ages, all the devotion, all the inspiration, all the noonday brightness of human genius are destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system. And that the whole temple of man's achievement must inevitably be buried beneath the debris of a universe in ruins. All these things, if not quite beyond dispute, are yet yet so nearly certain that no philosophy which rejects them can hope to stand. In short, he's saying there is no meaning to life. Atoms just collide and as a result of that, people seem to have hopes, beliefs, growth, loves, And we can only look forward to a universe which is about to implode in on itself as the sun goes out one day. And there we are with a a universe buried in the debris of ruins. Well, we're Christians. We're people who don't share that kind of worldview. We have, have a different kind of hope. And it's outlined to us in the scriptures. And we're going to look at that this morning. The scriptures were given by God so that we might see life in a right perspective and life meaningfully even as we face the different kinds of challenges that are presented for us in this world. And the message from the spirit of truth this morning for us from the word is that God has a plan. He's got a plan to solve the problems not only of this world but he's got a a plan to solve the problems of us and our heart and to transform our lives. And that's what we're going to look at as we look at the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and we see how that piece of God's jigsaw puzzle fits into his plans for the future. But in the first place, as we don't understand the difficulties and the problems of the world, God's word explains that the reason we live in a world of hardships and problems is due to sin. Our first parents were cast out of paradise with God, into the world in which we now live. They rebelled and sinned against God. Adam and Eve, unfortunately, wanted to be too much like God. They wanted to be like God, knowing good from evil, and they weren't content just to be God's creatures. They weren't content to live on every word that proceeded from the mouth of God. And so they didn't submit to God. They didn't submit to his word and listen to him about saying, do not take from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They didn't listen to God's word and they didn't listen to God's warning that if they did so, they would surely die. And so unfortunately, they rebelled against God, seeing that the tree, the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was not only good for food and pleasing to the eye. It was also desirable for gaining wisdom. They could be like God. That was the attraction of it. And so they rebelled against God and took the fruit. And that was an attack on God's good order, where he was actually supreme king and they were to be rulers under him. And so God justly brought them to account. In his judgment, he told them that they would then experience difficulties in this life. There'd be pain in childbearing, there'd be conflict in marriage, and that the environment would be hard to get enough food out of to sustain them until they'd even be overcome by the environment itself. And they were cast out of Eden into this world where sin and death do reign. And that's the world that we inhabit the world with all the kinds of problems that we mentioned earlier, and as technology changes, there's probably more problems that that are coming our way that we don't even know about yet. And so we find ourselves living in a world where, over time, we get overwhelmed and overcome. Our lives will be spent, and then we'll return to dust. Our problem is that we share the same nature as Adam and Eve. In our attitudes to God, we, we don't want to submit to him. In our hearts, we resist his will. Speaking to his disciples, Jesus talked about how some people wanted to try to patch themselves up on the outside and be acceptable, acceptable to God by working on things on the outside, like baptising cups, pitchers and kettles and eating the right kinds of foods. And Jesus is saying, look, the problem's not the outside, the problem is the heart. He says to his disciples, are you so dull? Do you not see, in Mark chapter 7, do you not see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them or make them unacceptable to God? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, "...what comes out of a person is what defiles them. It's what comes out of someone which makes them unacceptable to God. For it's from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly." All these evils come from inside and defile a person. How true do you think what Jesus is saying is? I find that the truth rings true. And that if we're honest with ourselves, we can understand what he's talking about with respect to those struggles, can't we? Of course we understand those struggles, but we prefer to keep those kinds of things a low profile in our lives. We also share ungodly attitudes and self-absorbed behaviour, where we fall short of doing God's will. And bad behaviour and bad attitudes are symptoms of a a bigger problem, a core problem, that in our hearts we don't want to submit to God, and therefore we go and live lives which don't bring honour to him. People do try to live for a time without God as king. They try to be king of their own lives, but in their deaths they do learn that they only have so long to be king, and they learn that they are not God. And Paul, the apostle, reminds us of these facts of life in the book of Romans when he says the wages of sin is death. We don't simply die because we're types of mammals. It's because we're sinners in a sinful world that we die. And the Bible also reminds us that that's not the end, that we do face a judgment day before the living and true God. It's all pretty tough stuff, but there is some good solution to this. God, in His kindness, has actually set about bringing about a plan that's going to result in a solution to our problems. He solves the problems of our sinful heart, and He's going to change the world that we live in and bring a A renewed creation. If you're reading in the scriptures with me this morning, if you'd kindly turn to Hebrews chapter nine, I'm going to read from verse twenty-six to twenty-eight of Hebrews nine. I don't have the page number. What's the page number? Has anyone got that? Hebrews chapter nine? Page eight hundred and fifty. If you're following in the outline, you'll notice we're at point two, God's solution. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26 to 28. It says, but he, and it's referring to Jesus, in verse 26, has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man is destined to die once, and after that, To face judgment, which is horrifying. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he'll appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Well, the wonderful news that leaps off the pages of the scriptures before us this morning is that Jesus deals with our problem, he deals with our heart condition. It's good to be reminded of this deep truth, even week in and week out. And it's nice to see it here, clear, in black and white. I've heard it said uh, before that God is love, but get it in writing. Well, this morning we can see it in black and white that Jesus was sacrificed to take away the sins of many people. Of course, the Old Testament is the background of this idea of a sacrificial system, where Animals became the substitute for sin-bearing. They were slain and symbolically bore the sin of people. But they had to be repeated year after year because it was impossible for them to take away completely people's sin. But Jesus comes as a perfect sacrifice. From verse 28, we see that Jesus' death was a sin-bearing death. He wasn't just dying on the cross as a as a symbol, as some sort of good example, he's actually bearing sin. And we're told that he'll appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation. Now that news ought to come as a great deal of relief to us because we are people who can be burdened with guilt. It can feel like carrying a heavy burden on our minds. Do you know what I'm talking about when I say that? I'm sure there's times where you felt guilty And it's not a very nice feeling when we lose sleep. And at one level, it's... uh, Those some funky tunes there, aren't they? (laughs) At one level, just changing back here into a different gear, uh, it's actually good for us to feel guilt, isn't it? It's good to feel the weight of our shortcomings. When my wife reminds me of the things that I should have done around the house, it gets me wanting to change and repenting. Uh, doing things for the good of the family and living a more godly life. And it's not a bad thing, is it, to feel our consciences getting pricked from time to time. In fact, God's word warns us against people who are described as searing their consciences. Do you know what that means? They desensitise themselves to what they know to be right and wrong and they can give themselves to wickedness. Our jails are filled with people who sear their consciences. There was on the TV recently a picture of a guy who planned the bombing in Bali. As he walked into the courtroom, it was like he was going to Dreamworld. He was happy. He was laughing. It was interesting that the commentator noted that even at the end of the trial, he showed no remorse. He's just blown up or helped to blow up a whole lot of people and he was chuckling about it. Well, what are we to make of that? Well, I take it that he's seared his conscience. He's desensitised himself to what's wicked. Instead, the Apostle Paul encourages people, in particular Timothy, to hold on to faith and a good conscience. But at another level, we can't be... Overly weighed down by our burden of guilt. We can feel guilt and know that we haven't always done the right thing in life, can't we? But we can't forget that we're not saved by good performances. We're not perfect people. We're people who foul things up. We make mistakes. And everybody makes mistakes. Even the people who want to shame us and reduce us. Maybe they want to shame us to get their own way. Even those people who try to use guilt, they also make mistakes too. But it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done we can still find forgiveness. We can still find relief for that burden of guilt. God, in his kindness, gives us the comfort of forgiveness. We can see in this passage a sure foundation for it. And it's the sin-bearing work of Jesus, who died in our place for our sin. But a key question to ask is whether you have come to that point of a living trust in Jesus? Have you asked God to forgive you for all your waywardness and your forgetfulness of God? Have you decided to turn back to him? Have you made a real decision, a real decision, to turn and follow the Lord? Because God's word challenges you to make a real decision. Jesus calls us. And he says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. We're challenged to make real decisions for the Lord. And God calls us, He calls you and I, to turn back to Him, to believe in the Lord Jesus that we might be saved. And the promises from the scriptures is that God provides a different kind of future. It's a better future, without the all sorts of problems that we've uh, mentioned at the start of this sermon. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28, which is before you, we read the promise that Jesus will appear a second time. Not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Salvation is something which we do enjoy now. We can enjoy God's forgiveness now. But it's also something that we look forward to at the end of the ages. And the destination of our salvation is described in the Bible as a renewed creation. And even our bodies are described as being new and like the resurrected body of the Lord Jesus. It's hard to imagine that, but that's, that's the truths that are expressed in the Bible. We saw something of, of that when we uh, read the Bible earlier, when Gary read out 1 Corinthians 15 from verse 35. If you'd kindly turn to that passage now. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 35 to 49. Some people at the church in Corinth were sceptical about the shape of things to come in the future. They were sceptical that Jesus had actually raised from the dead because, as we know, dead men don't rise. But Paul affirms in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, that Christ has, in fact, been raised from the dead. And he raises this important point that Jesus is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. In other words, for people who have already died, we don't need to panic about them. If they love the Lord, well, the resurrection is the first kind of resurrection, if you like, that those people will also have at the end of the ages. Although they will die, we'll enjoy resurrected bodies like his. We get this picture of a change that takes place from a, a seed to a plant. And that's what we see Paul trying to explain to us in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35, which I'll pick it up from there. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and each kind of seed he gives its own body. Importantly in verse 42 to 45, we see that there's a difference in the bodies that we'll have now and the body that we'll have then in the renewed creation. Verse 42 says, "...so it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable." It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonour. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it's written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The kind of body that we have now is generated or animated, empowered by flesh and blood and it's a body that's going to decay. But the body that we'll be receiving at the end of the ages is going to be animated or empowered by the spirit of God. In Romans chapter 8, Jesus, Paul writes about how Jesus is going to give life to our mortal bodies and so some have drawn this comparison between uh, different kinds of trains. Uh, if you went to a museum and you looked at a train that was made 150 years ago and they had another train in there that was made I don't know, only a, f- a few months ago or a few years ago, uh, you'd understand that they're both tra- trains. But the one that's made 150 years ago would probably be powered by steam. It's still a train, but the one that's only been made last year would probably be powered by diesel. They're both trains, but they're empowered by different things. And that's the kind of picture that we're giving. Uh, The flesh and blood that we have now is going to rot and decay, but the kind of body that we'll have that's empowered by the spirit at the end of the ages is not subject to corruption. And so we don't look forward to some disembodied state in the hereafter where we're types of ghosts. Uh, We're given a resurrection body like the body of Jesus. And we see that in verse 49. And just as we've borne the image of the earthly man, Adam, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man, which is talking about Jesus. And so in the face of many life difficulties and problems, we're given a hope of a different kind of future that God holds out to us. As we think about the future... We're not like other people where we get depressed because we have no hope in life. We've got a genuine hope and we can have genuine peace of mind of life with God. Although we face problems of all kinds, we can readjust our expectations about what this present age has to offer. And we know that this age of sin, death and decay are things that are going to be passing away and we'll look forward to God's solution as He restores this whole cosmos. The present order is passing away, and the new order is going to be a change, like going from the seed to a plant. And as we live in this age, we live in the light of God's renewal of the future. What we do now is not in vain. It's not a waste of time to serve the Lord, it's not a waste of time to do what God wants us to do, to give ourselves to the good works which he's planned for us. Our actions, what we do, and living in the present takes on a different kind of meaning because what we do now is done in the light of God's plans to renew this creation. God plans to continue his commitment to his creation. He plans to restore it, and what we do is, in, is consistent with what God plans to do with his creation. Some people say it's a waste of time to do good works. God's just going to dump this creation. It's like, they would say, oiling the cogs of a machine that's about to drive off a cliff and smash. But we can see from God's word that he loves his creation. He's entered it in Christ and he plans to rest- restore it and renew it. And so Paul tells us that our actions to serve the Lord are not a waste of time. It's not in vain. May we be people who continue with our faith in Jesus, not move from that hope in the gospel. May we be people who hold on to Jesus until he comes a second time. Let's think about giving ourselves to the good works which God has for us in this age, in the knowledge that he's going to renew this whole world. May we be people who aren't overcome by the problems of the present age, but look forward to what's coming next, the, the renewed creation where we share resurrected bodies and be with the Lord face to face. Let's come to the Lord in a time of prayer. Let's pray. Our Lord God, we do give you thanks for your wisdom and your power and your authority over all things. We thank you that you have established a plan to commit to your creation, to renew it, and to develop a way where we can be forgiven and renewed as well. Lord, as we face all manner of problems, all manner of complexities and difficulties and hardships in this age, please help us to accept that this age is passing away. And that our hope is not found here, but it's, it's in the future of a renewed uh, universe where we live with you. Lord, we pray that you would help us to hold on to faith and a good conscience. We give you thanks that we uh, also enjoy your complete forgiveness. Knowing that it doesn't matter what we've done, that we can turn back to you and be forgiven. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to live lives which are serious ones where we seek to bring glory and honour to you in the way that we do live. We ask for your help in that. We thank you that we can meet weekly to encourage each other uh, and spur each other on to love and good deeds. Knowing that serving you is not in vain, Lord God, that, that you know our hearts and our actions. Lord, we thank you for the hope that we have in you through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and your promise to raise us as well. We pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.